I'm Andrew Constantine, and this is A Stick With A Point. Hello everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today I'm interviewing a quite wonderful conductor, Italian Carlo Rizzi. He and I first met over 30 years ago, when he was a jury member of the inaugural Donatella Flick conducting competition in London, which I was fortunate enough to win. He has a great deal to say not just about music, opera and conducting of course, but about life growing up in Italy and what he got up to when everything went on hold during the pandemic. If you live stateside, do your best to get to the Metropolitan Opera when he's guesting there, as he does regularly. Recently, I heard him conduct a marvellous performance of Verdi's Don Carlo. Carlo, fantastic to see you. Thank you so much for joining me today. And uh, it doesn't look as though you're either in the US or in the UK. So where are you at the moment? Well, I'm not in the US, definitely. And I'm not in the UK. I'm a little bit uh, south. Uh, I'm in Germany, in Bavaria, actually, in Munich, because I'm conducting here at the Staatsoper. Is that something you do regularly? Um, well, it's interesting, you know, as you as you very well know, uh, things goes in ways. For example, I've been here a long time ago, and then uh, not for about 20 years. And now, and now this is the third time that I'm here in three years and I have another contract so it depends I like Munich it's a very beautiful city it's a very historic city and the theater is actually very good the orchestra and the chorus they are very good and very professional so yeah I do like it yeah well I want to really uh, delve a little more well a lot more I have to say into your your opera life your opera love and the opera world in a moment but Perhaps for some of the folks who are listening, you could tell us a bit about yourself. Um, yeah. Well, um, I am. I was born in Milan many years ago, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> I studied uh, at the Milan Conservatorio. Um, and then uh, after I've done all my studies, I won a couple of competitions. And then uh, I started to do um, some concerts in Italy and then outside Italy. And actually has been outside Italy when I started to, uh, to do a um, concert or an opera in uh, Great Britain, uh, where then things took off because I've been offered the musical directorship of National Opera. And from there, uh, then I started to conduct uh, in many different orchestras, many different theaters. And um, I conducted a lot of the Met uh, in Italy, obviously. So I have been a musical director of Bosch National Opera for 10, uh, no, 11 years. And then I went back a second time. And now I'm enjoying a freelance career. Um, although there is a lot of travel in a freelance career. <laughs> and, uh, and there we are. And music is in the family, isn't it? You're, you're not the only musician in the Rizzi family. Well, I'm. you're right. I'm not the only musician in the family, but this is definitely the first generation of musicians because my father and my mother knew nothing about music. But it's interesting, something must have been in the, in the genes, in the DNA, I guess, because both me, my sister and my brother, we are all three musicians. 
So there's a big uh, change for somebody that uh, maybe thought that we would become lawyers or doctors or <laughs> I don't know what. And um, but it's something that was natural. There was not a plan, let's say, to become musicians. So it just started like this, and my parents, with me and with my siblings, they let us do what we wanted, also because we were doing quite well. And uh, and this is it. And this is what uh, what we become. Yeah. So who's the eldest? You, your brother, or your sister? You I am. I'm the oldest. I'm the first one. So I'm the one on which all the experiments of parenting has been done upon. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't seem to bear any scars of that, I have to say. But no, is, no, is there some sort of sibling rivalry, do you think, that, that created this, no. this energy? I don't mean um, just competitive. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I know what you mean. Actually, no. And I tell you why. Because we three, we had all different, uh, you know, I started as a pianist. Uh, and... Uh, you know, to do concerts and recital and whatever. My sister uh, also is a pianist, but she liked much more uh, teaching. Uh, she didn't enjoy very much actually playing in public. And my brother is a violinist, so each one has a different uh, kind of, uh, of um, you know, little niche, let's say. And um, and in fact, actually, it was very interesting. Once, uh, I remember, uh, I don't remember where I was, I think it was in Pisa, you know, in, uh, there was a music shop, uh, and in the same music shop, uh, by chance, uh, there were a recording that I made. Uh, there was a book that my sister wrote uh, for uh, teaching music to children, and there was a recording that my brother made. I took a photo and That's I sent lovely. it to my parents. <laughs> it was really funny. That is, that is really lovely. But tell us, how is, how is uh, music education supported in Italy? Is it something that the state helps with or is it all private? Well, there are two fold to this question. One is the quality and one is the accessibility. Um, we are talking, you know, when I started to study music, uh, we are, alas, we are talking more than 50 years ago. Uh, I started very young. Um, so, uh, actually, my parents, my family was not uh, rich. You would not been able to afford, uh, you know, private lessons, and this is why <clears throat> we went uh, immediately to a school of music that was not the conservatorio. Actually, the conservatorio is run by the state, but it was a school that was run by the city of Milan, from where we are. That was uh, uh, free, uh, and. Um, and this was actually what made possible for us to 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 study music and to uh, now uh, you know we were lucky because we had good teachers uh, but uh, for example if we would have i mean you have grown up uh, uh, in the in the british system uh, and i'm sure you played a school uh, an instrument you've sung in a choir you did all these activities and there was none of this in the normal school you know in primary school or secondary mm -hmm. school in italy and uh, I, you know i think still the same uh, so um the people that really wanted to study music was the people that wanted to do something extra what i'm trying to say was not uh, in the normal curriculum yes we had one hour of music uh, 
every week where we learned uh, what is the position of the sea on the stave uh, and this kind of things. But that was not a really um, live music education where you actually can learn that making music is joyful. And um, and so on one side, uh, we have been lucky because uh, we didn't have to pay anything. On the other side, uh, um, we uh, were doing something that uh, the majority, the vast majority of people of our um, you know, of our friends in school were not doing, not because necessarily they didn't want it, but because they were not offered. That kind of leads me into a question that I thought I was going to have to wait a little while to get to, but uh, you're very thoughtful about that being a period 50 years ago when that free tuition was there. Is it something that still exists or is it has it been cut back? Is it under threat like in most parts of Europe and, and the US? Well, um, this school actually is still going. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, uh, every time that I go to see my mother now in, uh, in Milan, I always ask the taxi driver to do a little detour to pass in front of this uh, of the school. Um, uh, brings back a lot of memories. Uh, the, school, the school still exists. It's possible. It doesn't cost a lot. I think there is something to pay, but definitely not anything like you know what you should pay would pay in the UK or in the US to get into a conservatorio or a university to study music. Um, but I have to say, you know, I don't have the finger on the pulse of uh, the Italian situation anymore because uh, more than half of my life now I've spent that living in the UK. And, um, and there is one thing that one, I want to say about this. Uh, um, you know, when I, I have children, my children are half Italian, half Welsh because I, I live in Wales. So when my children started to go to school, I was uh, really amazed at the... Um, possibility that they, that they have. They were always doing uh, choirs uh, and uh, playing in the, in the orchestra, starting from the class orchestra, the school orchestra, the county orchestra, etc., etc. Things that we never had in uh, in Italy. But I have to tell you one thing. In 2012, 2012, so 10 years ago, I have been asked to conduct the National Youth Orchestra of Wales for the first time. And I did it because I thought it was important to try to give back something to young people. And it was a wonderful experience. And I do remember that there was a, <laughs> a sea of players. <laughs> I don't know, 21st violin, 22nd violin, all these kind of things. Every part in the woodwinds was doubled, not to talk about the harps, because in Wales, harp is the national instrument. So there were about, you know, sort of Wagnerian's <laughs> line of harps. <laughs> this was in 2012. Uh, and this was when, uh, you know, the pupils uh, in school, in primary school, we are talking and secondary school, they had access uh, free of charge to tuitions and uh, they could ask uh, you know the, the the school or the city you know to to borrow some instruments this finished a few years later and uh, the last time that i conducted the national youth orchestra of wales that was uh, just before the pandemic so two years ago two four years ago 2018 i think so we are talking a difference between six years, 2012-2018, six years. 
you know, this finished because of money, because of... And uh, the last time that I conducted, we have to join forces with the Youth Orchestra of Northern Ireland because there were not enough people. Oh. This goes to show to you how important is the education in uh, uh, what we could say the normal school, you know, uh, as a as a general uh, enrichment, as a general culture. I really believe this is so, so, so important. And I was so sudden, taken uh, back by this fact that in such a short period of time, a lot has been lost. And then, of course, the pandemic came. This year, I will conduct again after the pandemic. <laughs> I don't know what will happen, but we will see. Mm-hmm. That's, I'm afraid, what I expected you were going to say, and I thought it might have been the same situation in Italy as well. But you and I are, are almost of an age where we can remember growing up and wonderful support in each of our countries for musical education and opportunities in terms of playing in orchestras like that. I remember the reputation of the youth orchestra from Wales, and actually, you know, I have some recordings of them. Uh, <laughs> pictures pictures from an exhibition with Arthur Davison conducting uh, oh, yeah. Shostakovich Festival of Aventure. It sounds magnificent. I have friends yeah, who, yeah. who played in it generations ago, and it's tragic. It's so sad to hear you say that within six years, <clears throat> it could have diminished so much. But yeah. it's the age we live in. Yeah, but you see, for example, I am from Milan, as I said. Milan is uh, <clears throat> what it was, uh, Definitely, the musically the capital culture mm-hmm. of Italy. When I grew up, there were four orchestras, and uh, La Scala, obviously, that is uh, the major theater <laughs> in the world, if you want to say this, or the most famous. And I do remember um, I was going three, four times a week to see concerts or uh, <laughs> or performances at La Scala because again they were discounted, very discounted tickets, otherwise I could not have afforded it. And every, you know, now I realize that at the time, every evening there was a great conductor or a great pianist or a great singer or a great production. And uh, now I realize that I've been so, so lucky. My musical um, upbringing has not just been studying, but also been able to be exposed to such a richness. And uh, then uh, many years later, for example, between uh, the four orchestras, uh, what would be the BBC, you know, the Orchestra of the Rai, that had four orchestra, they merged into one. So today, the Rai, you know, the Italian BBC have only one orchestra. At least uh, in the UK, there are five or six surviving. Um, but is uh, Look, I, I don't want to now to start to to be the old grumpy guy saying, ah, you know, the good old time. Things are changing. Uh, also, the perception of classical music is changing. Attention span is changing. So, uh, you know, is, there is a difference uh, between uh, people of my age that were sitting, uh, listening to a first time, uh, first movement of a symphonia that was lasting 15 minutes or 20 minutes, or in the case of Mahler, even 30 minutes. And... Uh, the young people that now, you know, the longest track that they have on the iPhone is three minutes and a half. It's also something that you need to think about it. I'm not saying that uh, this is bad or good, but it's the way that uh, things are going. And this 
not you or I, or I that are going to change. <laughs> no, that's, that's very okay. true. And um, uh, the worry from that is that we're part of a, an industry that's predicated on presenting an art form that invariably lasts longer than three and a half minutes. So oh, do we make colossal compromises or do we try to retain our integrity, what we believe is our integrity and um, and and battle on regardless? It's a conundrum and it's not one that you and I are going to sort out today, but I'm, no. I'm, I'm glad you <clears throat> share the frustration with uh, the way things are, are developing that way. Let's move back to opera, though. And uh, you really are into opera. I, I find opera really hard to conduct. You you make so light of it. I think that's because it's in your blood. You're Italian. You came from Milan. I last saw you conduct a few months ago at the Met in New York, one of the great opera houses. It was fabulous. So tell us what it's like conducting opera as opposed to conducting a symphony. Well, as you said at the beginning, uh, conducting opera is difficult. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a different, it's a completely different uh, uh, kind of um, world. Um, technically, it's actually much more difficult to conduct opera than conduct a concert for a very simple reason that there are so many variables that can go wrong. <laughs> when you conduct an orchestra, you have the orchestra. When you conduct an opera, you have the orchestra, you have the chorus, you have the soloist, you have the set. You have a curtain that cannot may or not open. You have a piece of set that may may not rise, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There are so many different variables uh, that makes uh, a performance uh, slightly more challenging than a concert. Now, in symphonic music, there are different kind uh, of uh, problems to solve. I'm not saying that obviously there's not, but. Uh, um, technically, yeah, I think uh, definitely it's more difficult to conduct uh, to conduct opera, to negotiate all these things. I mean, to conduct it well, to conduct it badly is very easy, and many people do. Um, so, but the reward in the moment, you know, for me, what what attracted me to conducting was actually the sound, the the variety of the sound in the orchestra. And when you add this, the variety of sound in the voices, the power of a chorus, uh, the magic uh, um, of uh, of a staging, uh, this is uh, for me is really fantastic. I do remember the first time, uh, the first time I actually um, fell in love. I mean, it's uh, too big of a phrase, but I started to really be interested. The first time that I went uh, to see an opera, I was about thirteen, I think, or fourteen. And uh, another thing, you see, about uh, the school in Italy where I went, uh, because it was the school uh, founded by the city, we had uh, some free tickets uh, to go to see the dress rehearsal of the opening of the season of La Scala. So, and I was sitting there, actually, in the stalls, uh, and uh, the opera was on um, Ballet Mascaro, Verdi. And I remember the magic of this, uh, of this curtain arising, the sound of the orchestra starting to come up from nowhere, and uh, and everything. And honestly, I was mesmerized, helped by the fact also that it was a production of Zeffirelli, one of the best that is done, I think. And um, <laughs> I remember the last act. There is a changement between the 
study of the of the counter today um, palace uh, where there is the party that happened in such a way honestly i was with my my mouth open i couldn't believe it um that was the time also when <laughs> theaters had the money sometimes too much money to do this kind of things today maybe it would have been a little bit more minimalist but yeah so um you know it's, it's a completely different process uh, it's also um a slower process uh, because uh, you have to have more rehearsals you know with the singers so you start with the singers and it's not that it's all rose and flowers eh? because uh, you can uh, you know if you're a good singers it's fine but sometimes you find some singers that uh, have difficulty with the role or uh, um, difficulty with communication or difficulty with actually reading music. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and then uh, you need to try to understand what you can obtain. Um, and also then uh, the other point uh, is uh, when you have a substitution, because, you know, singers are humans. They get a cold, they get a sneeze, they get a cough. And uh, <clears throat> and uh, when another singer comes, we're talking for a principal role, it's not uh, that they just that the same notes. It's a different approach. It's a different way of intending. It's a different voice. It's like to have two different cars, you know, one that is maybe more heavy uh, but solid, one that is a little bit more uh, nippy uh, but goes a little bit faster. So everything is different now you know very well that uh, when you have a you know same thing can happen in an orchestra but there is a, a much more limited scope for doing something different and um, and it makes it easier in a way to find somebody and, and, and you know to put it in a in a rehearsal uh, i mean in a concert that has not been rehearsed but sometimes with some singers honestly it's like a if you are jumping <laughs> into the sea without knowing what is uh, where you are going to land, and uh, so yeah, um, when it works, uh, the rewards are fantastic. When it doesn't work, uh, it's difficult. <laughs> Do you like being involved at the early stages of a production? Um, I, I think it's necessary, and actually, I think uh, that uh, some of the problems that are with opera these days. Uh, is the fault of the conductors you know um in uh, in the older time the conductor was there all the time they were starting with music rehearsal we sort of you know studying and uh, looking at a part from the musical point of view then you were going to do the staging now these days uh, you have to fight to get two music rehearsals because People think, oh, okay, fine. So this is in two, this is in four, this is in three. Uh, there is a fermata here. That is not even the ABC of uh, conducting opera. That is the A only. And then all the rest is production, production, uh, about what to do, how to look, uh, how to move. That is very important, by the way. I'm not saying that is not important. But that's just me. Let me say this. You see, it's very, it's very complicated, this, because uh, <clears throat> Salieri composed an opera called Prima la musica, poi le parole. First the music and then the words. And this is an opera, is an opera buffa, and that is a fight between the musician, the composer, and the, the librettist of the, of the opera. Now, 
Salieri was living in the 1700s. So you can see how old is this, uh, uh, th this different uh, approach to the opera. And, uh, and today, um, you know, conductors, with, with also with the fact that uh, you can take a plane and, or a fast train, um, conductors uh, can go, you know, doing a concert and then coming back, et cetera, et cetera. For singers, it's more complicated because for singers it involves much more a physical activity. And also, imagine, just to make it simple, you know, if you are an athlete that can uh, run the 200 meters and the 800 meters, you may do it, but not one day one, one day the other, one day one, one day the other. You need to concentrate for a period on that and then on the other. For a conductor, is uh, is different, is easier. So these days, uh, and I am my part of blame to this, eh? not that I'm an angel, you just start something, then maybe you go away a little bit. But uh, the problem is also that it gets a little bit depressing because uh, um, if you stay there for five weeks, uh, just beating the tempo without uh, having anything to do because, uh, oh, you know, you need to see this move of the set, uh, then do it yourself. <laughs> I'm just going to do something else. So is. Uh, it's very, it's very, it's very, it's very difficult. But, you know, I always say, if uh, it would not uh, be for the music and the singer, opera would not be performed. I mean, nobody in the world would put on stage the libretti of, uh, I don't know, Gioacchino Forzano, the librettista of Verdi, or uh, somebody else of even of Metastasio that wrote so many libretti for Baroque operas, because what makes uh, this interesting is the music. So let's remember this. On the other hand, we need to admit uh, that these days uh, a lot more goes through the eyes than through the ears. Imagine, just a very simple thing, imagine if you watch the television the news, and there is only the, you know, the guy or the lady, blah blah blah, reading the news without any um, images, imaginary, you know, from here or from there. You would start to think that there is something wrong. Are people on strike? Um, but this is what actually listening to music is. You know, this is the music. But these days. Uh, is much more important also what uh, what we receive through through the eyes because uh, with the immediacy that we have with uh, you know social media or the phone or the television, in, um, you know just imagine if you go to listen to a concert performance of an opera, uh, you miss uh, the action, you miss the staging. I like it, but I'm a musician, but not everybody <laughs> is a musician, so. It's complicated. It's complicated. So the splendor of opera is what originally caught fire in your in your imagination when you were young. But <clears throat> isn't that the same with all Italians? I mean, every Italian I've ever met, whether they like music or not, they either love opera or realize that many people do love opera and they appreciate it for that. So what is it about Italians and opera? Well, uh, look, uh, opera... As, as you as you know very well, while uh, in uh, other parts of the world uh, there are certain 
guys called uh, Beethoven, <laughs> Mozart, uh, Brahms, uh, you know, Mahler, Bruckner. In Italy, there were not. In Italy, there were uh, operatic composers. This is the way that, uh, you know, that things developed. I mean, we cannot... Uh, have now a session about this. Also remember that at the time, Italy was not Italy. Italy was divided in so many different uh, um, places, different states, and also conquered by so many different people. So, um, you know, I think that uh, we like the the music, the line of the singing, the expression, some sometime also the virtuosity, as you say, maybe sometime the splendor of this. But I'm not saying that the theater in Vienna or in Paris were less splendid or less luxurious than the theaters in Italy. Um, it's the way that, uh, that it developed. And uh, one thing, though, that I noticed, uh, for example, you know, living in the UK and being Italian, one thing that really bothers me in the UK is that uh, if you like opera, you almost need to be apologetic about it. Oh, I'm really sorry. And why? Why? That's not opera. just opera. That's classical music. Full stop. Yeah, I've always been an apologist. Uh, pro probably, probably you're right. Uh, and I don't understand why. You know, there is this idea. I, I had once... One uh, on air, actually, a let's call it a discussion it was very robust uh, with the presenter that started. So, Maestro, opera is elitist. Ah, uh, no, <laughs> opera is not elitist. And yes, is elitist. No, and, and really, we had a this, this big discussion. And uh, because there is this perception, opera is actually expensive, doesn't mean that it's elitist. Actually, you go to the opera, of course. Not in the best seat, but uh, you can go to the opera much cheaper than going to a to a to a concert, pop concert, or to a sport event. And also there, you know, you have cheap uh, cheap seats and much more expensive seats. So what is this about? It's not elitist at all. Um, of course, uh, like uh, every uh, art form, needs to be subsidized. But it's not just classical music or opera every you know cinema to be subsidized theater dance you know museums and this is the way that it is not for nothing the word mecenate comes from the latin you know already at that time there was the 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 necessity for the uh, arts to be uh, helped by um, finances. Mm -hmm. I, I always, uh, I always argue with with people when they talk about how much money an opera can lose or how much money uh, a concert, an orchestra is losing. My response to that is that it doesn't lose anything. It's expensive mm -hmm. to do these things, and exactly, it doesn't have to be elitist to be elite. I don't think there's a contradiction there. If you want to do yeah, something yeah. exceptionally well, <clears throat> it elevates everybody. Yeah, but also think which other form of music have at least 70 people together, you know, if it's a symphonic concert, imagine if it's an opera. There's not. When you have a pop concert, you have a band of 15 people. Uh, and is a, is a different thing. This is the way that uh, this music goes. Now, people can like it, people may not like it, and of course, <clears throat> still a free world, so that is uh, that is fine. 
but don't tell me that it's realistic. At the time of Verdi, the people that were singing in the street the next day, the beautiful melodies, were the bakers, uh, the, the butchers uh, that went to see the opera the day before. Great maestro that you are. Do you mm -hmm. have time for anything else in life, any other interests in life outside of music? I mean, I, um, I, I play with a chainsaw and I take trees down and then make firewood. That's well, form of I, therapy. <laughs> I, I do more or less the same thing as you, but without being so dramatic, because uh, I like to work with wood. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I have, a, I have a house in Italy where uh, um, I have a few machinery, you know, table saw, etc., etc. And they just like to to build a thing because uh, I think, uh, <laughs> you know, I always feel that uh, I was born as a pianist. Uh, I feel that uh, being a conductor, sometimes I miss the manuality of doing something with the arm because yes we do this but uh, but actually we, we don't play uh, or we don't use you know the larynx to to sing so i like this also uh, also because one of my two grandfathers was a carpenter and the other was a builder so i always saw in my house uh, people making something you know i still have things that has been built by my grandfather so this is something that uh, um, I find it uh, therapeutic and uh, it really relaxes me, relaxes me. And uh, of course, <clears throat> let's not forget that we come from uh, two years of uh, pandemic. So we had uh, a lot of time in this. Uh, um, of course, uh, one thing uh, that uh, I didn't realize personally, I think I'm talking for many artists, but you know, I really didn't realize was how much I was not looking at what I could do before the pandemic because we were just working. And then came the pandemic. And, uh, and then suddenly, honestly, it was from one day to the other, I stayed at home. I remember it was uh, the middle of February, I was conducting it was a Saturday. I think it was the 12th. Uh, I was conducting uh, in Bristol, Sicilian Vespers, with uh, my ex-company, Welsh National Opera. And I should have left the next Monday for the Metropolitan Opera to do two months there. <clears throat> I finished the first half. I went back to the dressing room. I put on the mobile. And here there is an email saying that the season has been cancelled. So suddenly in front of me, I had two months of void. Before the end of the break, another email came in from La Scala. The season has been cancelled. Now, after the match, I should have gone to La Scala. So suddenly the months became four. And then the day after, Chicago cancelled. So the... I, I mean, honestly, boom, 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 boom. And <clears throat> I found myself with an ear completely without work from one day to the other. And uh, <clears throat> the adjustment has been uh, <clears throat> slightly stressful. Not uh, first, I actually enjoyed it. Then I started to be to get panicked. Then I started to enjoy it again. 
and uh, <laughs> we always joke you know with my wife because uh, uh in uh, all our history together we've been always very separated because of my work so we remember that we said well let's put it in this way if we make it through the pandemic if we make it <laughs> because you know we've all never been together so 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 much we make it we made it um but one thing that for me was interesting is that i started to to play more the piano and actually I did a project that I wanted to do from long time. I composed, not composed, I assembled, let's say, two uh, symphonic suites from uh, two operas of Puccini, one from Madame Butterfly and one from Tosca. And uh, I did it because, uh, well, because I wanted to show that Puccini is not just an operatic composer, but he was a great, great, great uh, connoisseur of the orchestration, as Ravel actually said. And so I, I put together this using the music that Puccini wrote uh, for, uh, you know, just for the orchestra without the voices. But I've not done uh, like a sort of karaoke exercise that uh, you know, you have the orchestra <laughs> complement, uh, and then you give the line of the singing to a clarinet or something. There'd be more money this, in that, Carlo. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, this is all Puccini music, and I'm very, very proud. And they actually just recorded this, and they will come out uh, in a in a in a CD together with another couple of uh, Puccini um, symphonic uh, works uh, later on. Is that material available to? To uh, mere mortals like myself, to, to of course, if you pay a lot, uh, I yeah, have all the. Yeah, that's where I was going. You hit. <laughs> oh well, well, that's wonderful. Well, um, I'll be getting back in touch with you about that. That sounds Absolutely. fascinating. Yeah, fascinating, yeah. Carla. This is this is fantastic. I'm really enjoying this. I hope our listeners are as well. Um, you've told me what you were doing through the pandemic, and I, I think, um, or rather, as a consequence of the pandemic, um, I think there's. There's going to be some sort of research project in the future looking at what musicians do in their spare time because the number of musicians, conductors, instrumentalists I've come across who, when I ask them what else they do, they say, oh, I love working with wood. I could Really? I could, yes. Yeah. I mean, I do as well, but at the moment it's the, it's the destructive part of bringing trees down because we have so mm. many around us and that's just out of necessity. But the actual uh, refining of that and, and making making furniture. It's very interesting. Musicians and wood. Uh, but what else is on the horizon for Carlo Rizzi? What are you looking forward to in the future? Well, um, you know, um, I've done a lot in my career. I've conducted almost everything that I wanted to conduct. That doesn't mean that I don't want to conduct it again. Um, I, uh, I actually miss uh, um, uh, now having a theater or an orchestra because uh, um, you see, it's very well and good to go around and uh, be freelance. It's true. I don't have all the paperwork that, as you know, only too well comes with uh, having a position. But also, as you know very well, uh, when you have a relationship with a group, uh, um, you can grow with the, with this group. And this is uh, what uh, I miss a little bit because... Uh, um, when you have a concert in a week, uh, yeah, you can do a good concert, obviously. You know, everybody's professional, fantastic. 
But I'm sure that if one would work, you know, four weeks one after the other, it creates, you know, there are certain things that you don't need to repeat, you don't need to say. So there are other, other um, the attention gets on on the detail or maybe on the span of the piece without having to say, okay, look, this do, let's just do this in this way, let's just do that in this way, because we know this. Um, so this is what uh, what, uh, what I miss. And uh, I don't know if this will happen in the future, maybe yes, maybe not, we will see. Um, but uh, apart from music, well, uh, look, um, I told you, you know, I like to work with wood. Uh, of course, uh, uh, without saying the of course, but I like reading. I would like and I should read more, uh, both fiction and non-fiction. Uh, and um, this is what I would like to do. I, I've been around the world a lot uh, and I've seen a lot of things. There are a couple of places where I really would like to go. But again, uh, um, con calma as we say, it's not that I will rush to go here, here or there. And uh, more generally, uh, I, I really, I really would like to try to be true to the music. Uh, the world is going fast. That again is something that is normal. You know, the speed of the life become faster and faster. Um, and I think. Uh, that sometimes we miss uh, the the beauty of the of the silence uh, of actually not having you know to look at the watch. I have to do this in twenty five minutes. Uh, I don't know how to obtain this because uh, um, well, there is the famous say, "Time is money," and unfortunately, it's true, particularly when you have seventy people. But it would be nice uh, to be able just to work about the music uh, that because. Uh, you see, I believe as a conductor, you know, what, what do we do as a conductor? Uh, Sometimes when I go, you know, in a taxi or somewhere, uh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a musician. Oh, what do you do? What do you play? I don't play anything. Oh, are you a singer? No, I don't sing. Oh, what do you do? A conductor. Oh, what does a conductor do? And, uh, oh, God, and how do you explain? But the conductor actually, technically, does nothing and does everything. And this is something that uh, cannot only be based on technical ability. Of course, that is necessary. But this is this is what I mean. I would like to be able to communicate uh, with more time in more details. And uh, I don't know if it's possible because as you know, these days, for example, for a concert, you know, the time is reducing of the rehearsals and is reducing and reducing not only in the US, everywhere. And the work that we do is in the rehearsal, as you know. Carlo, I could talk to you all day. I love chatting with you. Uh, but I'm going to try and wrap this up by asking a question that I ask all of my guests. And that is, what's the one thing you're most proud of? Um, look, I think that uh, when I will be on my deathbed, um, 
I know that uh, what I will think about uh, will be the um, connection that I made with other people. And uh, this particular goes uh, for my wife and my children. This is obvious. But very often I ask myself, uh, what am I proud of in, in music? Am I proud of that particular concert, of that particular, the fact that I, you know, I opened the season of the Met three times? Uh, I'm proud of that, uh, that conducted in Salzburg. Uh, you know, yes, sure, obviously. But uh, there are certain things that are in my, in my memory that uh, are performances... Uh, that are not necessarily the most important, but are the one when um, the musician really started to trust what I was doing. And uh, they just uh, went with me. Is When this happened, conducting is a blessing. It's the, it's the most beautiful thing on earth. Because it's not just about... Uh, making a chord together but uh, is about really people that trust you you show and they believe in what you try to achieve that i have quite a few of these uh, memories that are actually quite personal you know i'm not going to say ah this or this the musician knows i know it uh, and it's something that for me is uh, is very important and when this happened I'm really happy that I'm able to be there uh, to conduct. You know, maybe it's a little bit underwhelming what I'm saying for uh, for other people. Uh, maybe they would prefer to say, oh, you know, that famous date in whatever. But no, for me, is the fact uh, that through my personality, my art, my um, technical, you know, skills, uh, I'm able to have people to take the people with me. You see, conducting, conductor, if you look at the Latin, uh, cum ducere, means to guide, wait, to guide with you. And this is why I prefer this word to the Italian direttore, you know, or dirigent, because dirigere is more like this, do this, go there. But conducting is like taking somebody by the hand and taking it with you. And this may be the musicians or the public. And this is what I think we should do. And when this happens, it makes me happy. Carlo Rizzi, I can't thank you enough. It's wonderful of you to be with us today. So take care of yourself. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Ciao, Andrew. I'm Andrew Constantine, and you've been listening to A Stick with a Point. <laughs>